0: we be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. You can find it on page 1016 in the Pew Bible. We'll only be covering the one verse tonight. And essentially, Peter's going to be introducing a topic uh, that will take up the next paragraph as he concludes his previous discussion. So we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. We'll be... Looking at the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So some years ago, not that many years ago, uh, really when I was starting on ministry, I also took some, some time and actually did a, did a bit of research into men's fashion. And it may sound a bit odd, but I actually didn't grow up around men wearing suits. Uh, and so none of the jobs I worked early on required any kind of suit uh, or any kind of clothing of that uh, that attire. So, uh, but then I got in a seminary and we started preaching, and all of a sudden I was expected to wear suits and uh, and coats and blazers and ties, and so uh, and, and I didn't know how any of that worked. So, and so you know, uh, also, but also you know, we have these questions even beyond that. You know, what is what do you what's proper to wear to a funeral? Right, so you know, can I wear this to a funeral? Uh, what is proper to wear to a wedding? Uh, now, a lot of society's rules have loosened up on uh, on these things, and that's probably a necessary corrective. Uh, we don't want you know, it's not good for society to be like hyper judgmental about oh, did you see them wearing this thing that that thing is like okay, you need to let it go, right? Uh, but there is uh, you know, there are times when we have to ask ourselves, am I wearing the right clothes? All right, you know, And it depends on what we're doing, and who we're with, where we're going, planning to do. Are we going to go meet the mayor? Are we going to court? Uh, are we going to the grocery store? Are we going to the beach? And, and so that question of are we wearing the right clothes is a fitting question for the church to ask itself. And Peter here tells us that he's talking to churches who are under attack by unbelievers. And he tells them that there is a certain kind of clothing they're supposed to be wearing. He says that the proper attire in the time of persecution is humility. I think it's kind of surprising and counterintuitive. Because we might be tempted to think that the proper attire for the church in such a time would be hostility, defensiveness. We might be tempted that the right clothing would be anger and outrage. Now, there are other churches, um, some which are not even churches at all, but claim to be at least, who say that the, essentially the right clothing is a kind of generic love that without any kind of biblical truth, discernment, or standard. But Peter here is going to show us that the proper attire for the church is humility and why it is so critical for the life of the church, especially in time of suffering, and so in verse five, uh, he's still kind of uh, he's still talking about church relationships and leadership, and uh, he's coming out of that. And then he uh, and then he turns in verse five and speaks to those who are younger and highlights that we in the church need to submit to godly leadership. Now, when, when he says, now you who are younger, um, you could think of younger in age, uh, but this is more likely those who are younger in the faith, those who are newer to the faith uh, of Christianity. Uh, and now it can be generally applied almost like a metaphor to the youth, because, or into youth, those who are younger, because the young tend to naturally have a aversion to authority. Once they start bristling, they start bristling and go, well, why should you be able to tell me what to do? But he says, you who are younger in the faith should submit to the leadership. And this can be applied to the church even just generally, because again, these churches are under tremendous pressure from outside attacks and persecution. And, and as such, the churches need faithful elders, we saw last week, who will shepherd the flock of God who seek their reward from Christ, who set an example and it, it, as they exercise diligent and concerned care for the needs of God's people. This is what the church needs, and, the, and elders as shepherds are one of the primary modes that Christ has established care for His church. But what good will it do the flock of God to have faithful and godly shepherds If the flock will not listen to the shepherds or take direction or correction from the shepherds. Last week, I said that the elders need church members to hold us accountable when we fail and when we falter. Yet at the same time, the sheep, the flock, need to follow the direction and submit to the leadership of the elders that God has placed over them. When Peter says here to subject yourselves to the elders it's an it is an exhortation to a voluntary decision. He's telling them to do something. And they have to decide to do it. Now this pushes against a lot of the impulse of our own culture that says, you know, well, you know, come to church, if you want to go to church, you can go, but just get what you want out of it. If demands are made of you, or even worse, if they correct you, if you hear the leader say something that you don't like, well, just leave. Like, you're just there for the positive stuff that you want to get out of it. And if you get anything negative, just get out. There's another church around the corner anyway. And, you know, it's just still a, it's when, the uh, example, when I was in seminary and there, uh, our church was disciplining a a husband because of sin that he had committed and it was deserving of discipline a church discipline um, for what he had done uh, um, I was working with someone who was aware of the situation who didn't go to church and she was just like is that a cult you know this so because the church had any form of discipline she was just like is that a cult like that they would do that and that you know and its like no like they're 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 just biblical and they take this seriously. And they're actually, actually saying this guy is wrong and he needs to repent. Like that's what they're saying. You know, it's like you need that to happen. And so uh, but there is that kind of attitude if a church does that or if leadership does that, people go reel back and go like, oh, I didn't sign up for this, and it's like, well, actually it kind of did. Right? You kind of did, um, because in the church we take oaths and vows before God, not only that, uh, about how we entrust ourselves to Jesus, but that we actively pr- will actively pursue godly lives by the grace of the Spirit, that we will assist the church in its work for the sake of Christ, and that we will submit ourselves to the oversight of the church. And this is not, you know, Peter's not putting this verse in just to kind of benefit the elders or to benefit the institution of the church. You know, godly submission to godly authority is for the benefit of the body of Christ as a whole. It benefits, it is good to submit ourselves to godly leadership in the church. For the body of Christ to function properly, the members must work together according to our callings. You know, how would our bodies function if if our body parts were rebelling and our feet are saying, Well, now I'm gonna be the hands or vice versa. And we certainly know the damage that bad leadership can have on a church. And we certainly know how toxic a church can be if it refuses to trust or submit to its leaders those those churches when you have both you know one or both of those things those churches are going nowhere they're not produ- they're not they're not moving forward in any direction they're just stuck fighting the question is what does it take for leaders to lead well and for members to joyfully submit themselves to the leadership of the shepherds Is there something that can help everyone in the church in this that would help the leadership lead, that would help the members to submit, that would help the people of God to function rightly? And Peter's answer is yes. There is one thing that would be a benefit to everyone in the church, and that is humility. And so Peter says, we need to clothe ourselves with humility. But there's some questions we need to address with the topic of humility. First of all, who actually needs humility? Now, Peter says, clothe yourselves. So, and to clothe is what we think it is, is to get dressed, is to dress yourself. But in those times, that would have involved securing clothing to your body with a knot. You know, you would tie your robes and whatnot to you. And so, um, you know, whatever you're putting on, you would have to bind it to your body in some fashion. And so, and so as a metaphor, Peter is saying that we are intentionally to take humility and to put it on ourselves, to tie it with a knot, to bind it to our bodies, that we are, that we are putting this on. And this command is universal. Humility is not for just some members of the church. It's not just for the leaders of the church. It is for the leaders and the members. Every way. It says, clothe yourselves with humility, all of you. Elders, deacons, Peter says, clothe yourselves in humility. Now, books have been written on the subject of humility, uh, and, and there's some very good ones. Uh, but generally, humility is, is, means simply to be brought low or to make yourself low. Now, for the Greeks, humbling yourself was actually a negative term. It was, a, it was because it was shameful to lower yourself. That was a bad thing to do. But for the Jews... To humble yourself was to recognize the sovereignty of your God as your creator and as the covenant Lord over his people. And so it was a positive thing. Even more, we add to this the revelation of of Christ and the grace uh, that defines the community of God's people. And, 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 And so the God's people are looking out for the interests of one another and after, because we follow the example of Christ, uh, that we see humility is actually a very positive thing in the Jewish and Christian understanding. And so, um, and just to kind of help clarify what, what humility is, you know, what is the opposite of humility? Pride. All right, so if, if, if humility is making yourself low, then pride is puffing yourself up, exalting yourself, right? Self-exaltation. And, and and truly pride is the exaltation of the self it is the worship of the self it is a false worship it is the the heart of the very first sin was to place ourselves at the center it was it was an act of pride in adam and so humility is simply seeing ourselves as we are and and we could say humbling ourselves um, to make, is to make war upon our pride, to bring ourselves low before God. Yet it is a positive term for us. And it, it's a positive term for the church. And it dictates how we treat others in the church in light of our relationship with our Savior. Now, there's another question here that may be a little tricky, but... Who is humility for? Now we said it's for everyone, but I mean, kind of what's the product of it? Who benefits from this? What's the end result? What is the goal here with humility? And and so and note this this particular application of humility in the church. Uh, Peter says, "Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another." Now this was unusual in society. Because humility towards one's superiors was expected in Roman society. Like, you you would be humble before the emperor. You would be humble before the gods, the Roman gods. Like, that was, yeah, of course. You had to be, because if if you're not, they will humble you by killing. Right? So, but for those who have oversight and authority... For, the, for those who are in power, who have the authority to show humility towards those who are under them, that was not acceptable in Roman society. That was an insulting idea. Showing that kind of weakness, especially as an emperor, that can get you assassinated. And it did. But Paul, I think, very clearly defines it here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Uh, and where he says that instead of selfish ambition or vain conceit, we are to consider others as more significant than ourselves. It doesn't mean that other people in the church are actually more significant or have some proximate value that is greater than my own. What it means is is that as a fellow member of the body of Christ, I am called to love my brothers and sisters by at least acting as if they have greater significance than me. And he and Paul clarifies what he means in that passage. He says, I, that he says we don't have to abandon our own interests or discount them. He says simply that we have to look out for their interests in addition to our own. And so if we if we have a body of believers, of, of leaders and members are constantly looking out for each other in this way, leaders who humble themselves before those they lead, and, and members who humble themselves before their leaders and before and even to one another, who seek out, leaders who are looking out for the interests of the flock and the flock who's looking out for the interests of others, you know, what, what kind of experience, what, what would you experience in a church like that? Have you been in a church, or even at a, even at a time in a church, where most of the people, or even just a good portion of them, were just looking out for number one? They were just looking out for themselves, and all the, and they didn't, and there was no trust, and they just and they were suspicious of each other. And you know, it's like, you know, it's like I've been to those meetings. All right, I've been to those meetings. They don't go well. And so, uh, and and so Peter says we need. Humility. to clothe ourselves in humility, especially in a time uh, where the pressure is on, where, uh, where the church is being attacked, that, with, that within the church we need humility towards one another, uh, to care for one another, to look out for the interests of one another. And, and, and then he says at the end of the verse, in essence, that we need to listen to Solomon. We need to go back. We need to get out our Proverbs. We need to listen to Solomon again. Because if we do, we will find out that humility is an old idea. Peter is not suggesting a new concept. And he quotes here from Proverbs 3, verse 34. James in his letter also quotes Proverbs 3 34, specifically there as a warning against pride. And but here Peter is quoting the proverb to give wisdom to a suffering church. And the proverb is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so we see here an essential characteristic from the beginning is humility for the people of God. As I said earlier, the opposite of humility is pride. Charles Bridges in his commentary um, that he wrote many years ago on, on Proverbs, he said, On no point is the mind of God more fully declared than against pride. The prideful refuse to humble themselves and trust themselves to God. And Jesus was explicit multiple times, recorded in multiple gospels, saying those who exalt themselves will be brought low, but those who humble themselves before God in the end, will be exalted. But we come to the question of why. Why do we need humility? What is it about humility itself, of all the different characteristics that the church could have, that humility is the thing that the church needs? Well, certainly humility is foundational and necessary because of our nature as creatures. We are created by the Creator, and we, and, and we ought to humble ourselves before Him, acknowledge His place as the Sovereign One, and our place as part of His creation. We are given the principle again and again throughout the Scriptures that God comforts and exalts the humble, those who humble themselves before their Creator. Even more we ought to be humbled by the fact that our salvation is given to us by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And Paul says elsewhere that we do not have lasting anything lasting that we did not receive. So why are we acting like we're saving ourselves? You know, so we have to be careful here. Humility is very is definitional to the faith. You cannot be a Christian if, if and be prideful about it, it doesn't work. I mean, a prideful Christian is uh, is is an oxymoron, right? It's a it's a contradiction in terms. Even Jesus said that we cannot enter the kingdom unless we humble ourselves like a little child. You know, and that's honestly, that's not that insulting when you're a kid. It's not that insulting of a thought. Um, Maybe even as a a young person, teens, maybe even college. But you become an adult. There's kind of a little sense where you kind of like, Jesus said it, so we, of course, we agree with it. But if we actually sit there and had someone say, you need to become like a little child, you'd be like, I've worked hard, I've grown smarter and knowledge it, like, you know start listening like there's a lot of reasons why we might say, wait, wait how dare you no absolutely not you know like it, you know but Jesus said, no no no, unless you humble yourself like a little child unless you acknowledge your childlike dependence upon God for everything, including our salvation, including the air we breathe, you cannot receive the kingdom of God you cannot enter Humility, then, is really just self-honesty, just getting honest about ourselves. It's, it's understanding who we are in the grand scheme of things and living in light of that reality. The Puritan Thomas Watson wrote that the humble heart is God's throne in regard to his gracious presence. The humble heart is God's throne in regard to his gracious presence. He is present there. He rules there. We still haven't quite gotten to the necessity of, of, of humility yet. We've talked a bit about it. But we can go deeper. Because all of this is true. But the chief reason that I would submit to you that humility is a central, distinctive characteristic of the Christian church... Is that our Savior Jesus Christ is humble? As Paul says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. But it doesn't mean that Jesus' humility was only momentary in our salvation. It is in the sense, uh, it, you know, it is, it is in that sense in his humiliation, he was brought low for our sake. But that's true. But Jesus also said in Matthew 11, 29, that that He is gentle and humble in heart to all who come to Him for rest. The internal disposition of Jesus' heart is humility. It's to concern Himself with the interests and the good of His people. And I think this helps us understand why Peter is quoting The proverb here, because proverbs, proverbs are wisdom. They are general truths about God, about man, about how to live in a fallen world. And Peter reminds us that the God who exalts the lowly, who blesses the humble, is not a new concept. It became clearer and stronger and more glorious in the revelation of the good news of grace in Jesus Christ, but it is not an entirely new concept. And so as God's people, Peter reminds the church of God's own disposition towards us. Do we think God will do kindness to us? If we act as if we're the center of the universe, will God reward puffed up pride as we bang our spoon on our high chairs and demand more and more and more? Rather, we, even like King Nebuchadnezzar, after God humiliated him, acknowledge the sovereignty and power of God over the world, we acknowledge our place in it. And like Habakkuk, who did, was not excited about the revelation that God gave him about the Babylonians coming to destroy his homeland, he said, I will wait upon the Lord for salvation. Jonah said, "In the belly of the fish, in his own humiliation, salvation belongs to the Lord. And if you want to know what humility is... Sing a hymn to God in the belly of a fish, knowing that your disobedience is what got you there. And so Peter is motivating us here as we, to acknowledge our limitations and weaknesses, to give voice to our needs, to bow ourselves before our King and trust in Him to deliver us. And so we humble ourselves in view of proverbial wisdom and the person of Christ because we trust in this truth that God gives grace to those who humble themselves before Him. One author wrote many years ago this. He said, God pours grace out plentifully upon humble hearts. His sweet dews and showers of grace slide off of the mountains of pride and fall on the low valleys of humble hearts and make them pleasant and fertile. Humility enables elders to be faithful shepherds. Humility enables deacons to be faithful deacons. Humility enables church members to godly submission and service. Humility is the order of the day in the church because our Savior is humble and our God gives grace to the humble. And there is no place for pride in the people of God. So we come back to the age old question. What are the right things? Church clothes. What is proper and required attire for the people of God? The social rules about what to wear have changed over time, certainly, but the biblical standard is not. The proper attire for the people of God is not hostility, pride, combativeness, or self righteousness. The proper attire, the right at church clothes for the people of God, can only be and will always be humility. So let us put off all those other clothing items and clothe ourselves in humility that we may follow in the way of our Savior as we serve Him together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You teach us by Your Word. Doesn't matter how long we have been at this, whether we have been a Christian for six minutes or 60 years, your word instructs us, teaches us, corrects us, mercifully wounds us at times, comforts us, restores us, because your word reveals you to us. And so, Father, we do pray. That you would reveal the ways in our own church, in our own lives, where pride has taken a foothold. Where we don't act in humility, clothe ourselves in humility towards one another. Where we clothe ourselves with defensiveness or animosity or judgmentalness or whatever sinful attitude that we can pick up. Our hearts are idle factories, we know this. So Father, we pray that You would open our hearts up to receive Your truth, to be humbled by conviction of sin, that we would repent and turn from our sinful ways, that we would cast off every sinful article of clothing, that we would clothe ourselves in humility, the humility that only comes by the grace and mercy of God and Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to serve and love one another as we hold out the word of life to a lost and dying generation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.